With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. I will be your host this evening, and as always, I will be joined by my esteemed colleagues who we'll all welcome to the show here in a minute. It is Wednesday, November 15th. Not Tuesday, it's November 15th on a Wednesday, and we're coming at you today on a Wednesday because last night, one half of the Red Zone Sports Report, yours truly and the savage burn, Mr. Steve Butler, had an opportunity to attend the annual fundraising event of the uh, Kids in Pros Children's Charity, which is uh, uh, run by former Atlanta Falcons uh, great Buddy Curry and Bobby Butler. We've had Buddy Curry on as a guest of the Red Zone Sports Report, and um, they have their annual fundraiser every year about this time. And uh, Steve Butler, the Savage Burn, and I uh, attended the event last night, and it was uh, for the first time uh, not held at the College Football Hall of Fame in Atlanta. It was held at uh, Brookfield Country Club up in the northern suburbs of Atlanta in uh, in the Roswell area. And I tell you, what a great event, Steve. Uh, um, I, I tell you, I look forward to that every year. Um, last night uh, on the locker room chat, which is uh, kind of a uh, – it's kind of a roundtable discussion without the roundtable, Steve. We had uh, a Steelers contingent last night with uh, Greg Lloyd, former Fort Valley State star, grew up in Peach County in middle Georgia, sixth-round draft pick of the Pittsburgh Steelers years ago. Uh, we had the bus, Jerome Bettis out of Notre Dame, and then LaVon Kirkland was also on the locker room chat that was uh, – I-, I would say it was um, – uh, the facilitator of the discussion was former Atlanta Falcons quarterback David Archer. But, Steve, it didn't look like Arch needed to facilitate a whole lot. He did uh, He did the introductions to the players, and then for the next hour, they kind of took it on their own, and it was quite a treat for everybody in attendance. Steve, your thoughts on last, room's locker, last night's locker room chat up in Roswell? First of all, uh, thank you, Chipper, for inviting me to the event. It was fantastic. And for anybody that's a fan of football and sports in general, it was a great evening to hear stories about their locker room, about who they were and and how they felt about each other when they first started their great run as as a team as the Steelers went to the Super Bowl in 1995. It was really cool to hear their insights. And we also got to see Piqueo Spikes of Auburn and some other athletes there. So, it was really neat, but the best part of the day was the fact that our host, the one, the only, Chip Lake, 
shot one under on the back nine at the charity golf tournament, <laughs> as we'll call it. Indeed. <laughs> and, and, and it was fabulous to watch him play such good golf. It was a fun day, and, and the stories that Greg Lloyd told would make for must-see TV. This guy is crazy. Steve, you're exactly right, and thank you so much for the shout-out. I did shoot one under, and uh, Steve, that was something, as I told you last night, I've never been under par for nine holes of golf before, with the exception of the time that I played the putt-putt course for the third time in Myrtle Beach with my son three years ago. The only time I've ever been under par in a round of golf. This was a real round of golf. actually wasn't under par in the whole round, just the back nine. I think it was because I was so excited about uh, uh, about the locker room chat that evening that the, uh, the cup seemed like it was uh, as big as a basketball hoop. So certainly itching to get out there, and it was a fantastic day. Steve, I appreciate you going with me. Let's dig right in, guys. We've got all of our hosts with us tonight. Because we've got a lot to cover. We're going to talk mostly college football tonight. Uh, but we are going to talk a little bit of uh, NFL football. We've got a couple storylines that are that are kind of percolating out there that we want to talk about. We've got uh, the Buffalo Bad Boy, Steve uh, Pete Tasco, who's going to join us. And one of those storylines is, um, is, is based right in Buffalo with a quarterback change that Coach uh, McDermott uh, made the announcement yesterday. They're benching Tyrod Taylor going to Nathan Peterman. We're going to talk about that on the tail end of the show. But let's start off the show, and Kip, we're going to bring you in to get us started to talk about um, the release of the college football rankings. And what we're going to do, instead of just recapping this weekend's games and then talking about the college football rankings, these college football rankings that, that were released last night, we're going to kind of integrate that into the discussion with what happened this weekend. And one of the things that I want to do is kind of go one at a time with each one of you, and, and we're going to go through the top, probably the top eight, maybe nine in the rankings and, and go through what scenarios with the remaining games that these teams have. Before, Kip, I get into that, and um, and and we, we kind of start that process. There was a game this weekend on the plains of Auburn University, and Auburn welcomed in the number one ranked Georgia Bulldogs, and proving how um, how uh, how horrid my ability is to see what these games might be like. Not only did I predict two weeks ago that the Buffalo Bills would have 11 wins. But I think I was very down on the Auburn Tigers last week. I didn't give our team much of a chance on the Plains. And, boy, did they show me wrong, Kip. Thoughts on the Auburn-Georgia this game this past weekend? Well, I've got to give myself credit. Uh, I do several uh, appearances on some on some shows and do some prognostication. And I have my own podcast uh, in advance of my Sunday morning show in Birmingham. And on all three of those outlets, uh, I, I picked Auburn to win the game. I just thought everything aligned. It was a perfect uh, scenario. You know, we saw it all weekend long last week that uh, the highest rank, the, the high-ranked teams, uh, particularly if they're undefeated, go on the road late in the season, play or play another ranked team. Uh, it just seems like the uh, the home team just usually prevails in that scenario. Not to mention the fact that if you really analyze Auburn's season, uh, yeah, that was a horrible offensive performance at Clemson, but they've, they've, got, they've gotten past that. 
the carry-on Johnson factor, that's a whole different team than went to Clemson. Um, he is, he is, and I thought he shined and, and established himself of really the, maybe the most unappreciated superstar back in the country really, really distinguished himself on Saturday. Uh, the interior line play both on both sides of the ball for Auburn, completely superior to Georgia and Georgia uncharacteristically just, just didn't, didn't handle the moment very well. They, uh, they made a lot of mistakes and, uh, I think that uh, there's been, and I'm not, I'm not uh, one of these guys that the first time something goes wrong, points fingers at an offensive coordinator. I thought Jim Cheney was a horrendous hire last year. We talked about it on the show when Kirby Smart uh, got the job. I thought the, the it was absolutely a huge factor uh, when Rick was let go uh, that Kirby Smart have the uh, comes up with the best offensive coordinator possible, being a defensive coach. I've always thought that Jim Cheney was underwhelming. Uh, Georgia had great success all year with doing what they were doing, but they were playing opponents uh, other than the Notre Dame game that were uh, that were inferior, and it all came back to roost on Saturday. Auburn just beat them in every possible way, and a great win for the Tigers. I've been talking about the uh, three-team de facto SEC tournament all year. And the first shots were fired to really make it intriguing. Auburn beat Georgia, which sets up a monumental Iron Bowl. It's going to be an unbelievable event. Can't wait uh, for a week from Saturday. And then we either get Alabama-Georgia in Atlanta or we get the Auburn-Georgia rematch. Either way, great drama. It's just what college football is all about. It is. Pete Tasca, I tell you, um, I find myself with a little bit of mixed emotions today because – um, I would love for the opportunity. I would love to beat the Alabama Crimson Tide in a week and a half and would love as an Auburn Tiger alumni to be able to go into Atlanta and compete not only for an SEC title for an opportun- but for an opportunity to play in the college football playoff. But then another part of me is like, you know what? We just beat the Georgia Bulldogs 40-7, to and I've got bragging rights for a year. Oh, wait. Maybe I only have bragging rights for three weeks. Seems like an awful big risk to play that Georgia Bulldog team again. If you'd have told me last week at this time, Pete Tasca, that the total yards in this game, one team would have 476 and another team would have 199, I would have bet the farm that the Auburn Tigers were on the short end of that stick. But Auburn, a completely dominating performance after the first drive when Georgia ran down. Georgia Bulldogs beat Tasca, ran for a season-low 46 yards, 36 of those yards, Pete, they had on the first drive. You had an opportunity wow. to watch that game, Pete, from uh, from Western New York. Give us your thoughts on the Auburn-Georgia game. I sure did, Chip. Good evening, everybody. Good evening, fellas. Yeah, it was a, uh, a thoroughly dominating performance by the Auburn Tigers, and, and I didn't see it coming. I mean, anybody who listened to the show last week, certainly you you three fellows were, were well aware of my uh, – prognostication that the Georgia Bulldogs would most likely, you know, continue to run the football with, uh, with, with really no, um, uh, you know, pressure coming from the other side. And, and I just didn't see it coming the way that it did at all. I, I got to be quite frank with you, fellas. I did not think that Auburn had it in them to dominate this football game um, really from virtually the start. And I say virtually speaking to what you both just mentioned, Kip and Chip about that first drive, 
I mean, it looked like it was going to be a long day for the Auburn Tigers. It really did. Indeed. And uh, it looked like they took the starch out of that, um, you know, crowd with that drive. It just looked like the prototypical Georgia Bulldogs of 2017 type of football drive. And, man, did that game turn quickly. I mean, by the end of the uh, the second quarter, I mean, it was clear that Auburn was a superior football team. Georgia just was not ready for the moment. Too many mistakes, penalties, big, big drops. I mean, you really do have to hand it to uh, to the quarterback, the freshman quarterback from. He, he made some great throws. It's just between the penalties and the drops, uh, by the time, you know, it, it, you know those things started to, to pile up for Georgia, the game was pretty much out of hand because Auburn had absolutely imposed its will on that football team. And, and as Kip just mentioned, too, on Johnson, what a back, without question, the the most underrated great running back in the country this year. That kid Couldn't agree is with phenomenal. You. And I wouldn't mind yeah. seeing him in a Buffalo Bills uniform next year, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> Pete, I tell you, I couldn't agree with you more. And Steve Butler, I'll bring you in. Um, you know, very few people in the country follow Auburn football like I follow Auburn football. And i got to tell you, and Pete just mentioned it, um, I don't know that I can think of a season, um, in fact, I can assure you that I cannot, in which our starting quarterback and our starting running back have improved so much from the beginning of the season in late August, early September, to where they are here in the middle of November. But Jared Stidham is a different, completely different quarterback than he was the first three games of the season. It is like night and day. And on Johnson, I've always thought on Johnson was a good running back. But as Pete said, I'm beginning to believe he's one of the best running backs in the country. Um, I've watched this guy develop, watching from the end zone, you know, 15, 16 rows up, which is where our seats are this year. I absolutely love them. I love the end zone seats. You get to see the plays develop, I think, a lot better from the ends than you do on the sides of the field. And I tell you, um, it, it, you know, his, his ability to be patient and wait for these holes to develop and, and his instincts to hit the holes when he knows he can't wait for them to develop, I don't know that I've ever seen a back in Auburn, um, you know, possess those qualities like on Johnson has. Um, I, I think the sky is the limit for this kid. I think he's gotten incredibly better, too. And, look, last year he had to share a lot of those carries with Cameron Petway. Steve, this year he doesn't have to share those carries. So, you know, I, I, I hate to look too into this because it was a big win. I don't know that anybody saw the margin of victory like it was. Um, it, it just it just seemed like one of those one of those games where and we don't get them very often and very few teams do get them very often but it was one of those games where everything went right for us we even got a few calls we never get calls we're always the most penalized team on the field you know but uh, <laughs> Steve uh, thoughts on Stidham carry on Johnson and and Steve how do you handicap the Iron Bowl in about ten days uh, down on the plains. Well, first of all, Johnson, his biggest thing was developing his vision. He always had that physical talent, but we had seen him for a couple of years as a younger running back run into blocks and not really wait on the hold. And now that he's developed vision and patience, wow, he's big too. He's not a little back. And Trey Mason had that kind of vision, but he was a much smaller back than Johnson. And I think, to be honest with you, he's up there with the best running backs in the country. You can go ahead and throw him in the top three. 
Um, and he sure. just performed fabulously. But I sent you a text after the spring game <laughs> that I thought yes, you did. was going to be competitive for a potential national championship because of the quarterback, Jared yeah. Stidham. Because Petway we knew about. We knew Johnson was a pretty good two-back. We didn't know he was this big of a star. But I absolutely loved what I saw out of Stidham on that spring tape. And I loved what I saw out of his backup out of Roswell High School, Malik Willis, who also threw a 37-yard pass in this game. I might add, for good measure, uh, boy, did I get my jollies off on that. But I want to point out a couple of things. One, Kip, you sound like a scared Alabama fan in your praise of Auburn right now. I, I, I think that you're kind of hedging right now for our show coming up in a couple of weeks because I think you saw what I saw. And if those eight top five defensive line recruits rotate and play fresh like that against anybody, we saw this in the national championship game against Auburn, and Chip and I were both in Glendale, Arizona, to see it in person. When you get the rotation of eight defensive linemen coming in and out of the game, it is really hard to block. Those offensive linemen get tired, and it's hard to block them. And Georgia, to me, they're the king. Unfortunately, I love Mark Rick, but his record against top ten teams was not good. And they had a record for 15 years of choking in those big games, and it was nothing different from what we saw on Saturday. No, you're exactly right, Steve. Kip, I'll give you an opportunity to respond. You you, you started, and I, I actually sensed the same thing that the Savage Bird sensed, which is, uh, you know, you, you, you look like you're building Auburn up so that you could – so that you could tear him down on next week's show. <laughs> Kip, how do you handicap the Iron Bowl coming up? I, I know Auburn and, and and Alabama have to get through non-conference opponents this week. Uh, Mercer and um, I think Auburn plays uh, Louisiana, Monroe. Uh, certainly assuming that nothing earth-shattering happens there. Handicap. Handicap for us the Iron Bowl in 10 well, days. L- l- let me just say this. Uh Alabama, I have uh, I have been consistent in the last few weeks of saying that this team it, this team is not uh, on par in my opinion, despite uh, a lot of dissent over here to this to this point. I don't think this Alabama team is on par with some of the Alabama teams we've seen. I think people got falsely seduced by this team during the three game tirade when they beat Vanderbilt. Uh, Arkansas and Ole Miss in succession. All three of those teams are at the bottom of the river somewhere. Uh, all of them are just absolute disasters who can't who can't play defense. Uh, Alabama won that I, that series of games. I think it was 153 to three or something. And from that point on, the whole national media, everybody, oh, this Alabama team, they're, they're just this was just an elite team. But if you really, really kind of look behind the curtains and see the strings, uh, this Alabama team has had crippling injuries to their linebacker core. Their their offense is inconsistent. Uh, Jalen Hurts is one of the is one of the clutch playmakers in the country, and the the guy just delivers when it when it's on the line. You got to give him a lot of credit for that. And Calvin Ridley is like the college football equivalent to Antonio Brown. You can put four guys on him, and he's still going to make a play and beat you. Uh, but Alabama is way too reliant on Calvin Ridley. Uh, I mean, it, it, you can almost uh, set your watch by the fact that Jalen's going to try to force the ball to him, and usually it works. But uh, I, I just think I just think this Iron Bowl, and 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 it's going to be it's going to be a lot to ask Auburn to kind of balance out the whole deal. 
Uh, I thought Auburn would win one of these two games, and now they've got the Georgia game in the in, in, in the hayloft. Uh, it, 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 if if they pull off the Jordan Hare double here like they did uh, in the uh, in in the magical fashion, uh, the Georgia this Georgia game was nothing like the prayer at Jordan Hare, followed by the kick six. Um, so you know they did pull it off that year. Uh, I just I, I just have uh, skepticism whether or not they can they can win both. But as far as their personnel and the uh, the setup uh, with Alabama coming in, and uh, we saw against Mississippi State how narrowly they avoided being upset after Georgia and Notre Dame had fallen. Uh, it would have been the first time ever in the regular season that the one, two, and three teams all lost on the same day. It happened once in a bowl game yeah. back in the 60s, in three bowl games, the 66. But uh, Alabama narrowly avoided disaster. I think this team is beatable, and I think Auburn, with the same performance that they put on the field on Saturday, can do it. Now, whether or not they're going to be able to play two perfect games in a row, uh, that remains to be seen. That's the intrigue and the drama coming into this Iron Bowl. It, it is indeed, Kip, and I tell you, so many, so many possible scenarios to to still play out. Just in the SEC alone, much less in the college football in the college football playoff rankings. Pete Taska, let me ask you this question. I'm going to put you on the hot seat. Let's assume that Alabama beats Auburn. Uh, I hope that doesn't happen, but uh, for the sake of this discussion, Alabama beats Auburn. They go into the SEC championship undefeated. They play the Georgia Bulldogs at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. If Georgia beats an undefeated Alabama team in the SEC championship, who goes to the playoff from the SEC, or does anybody go? <laughs> I mean, these, these scenarios are they're 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 really bordering on comical. You know, I've been watching so many of these um you know programs this week on ESPN and so on and so forth, and a lot of these debates. Uh, I think it was even last night uh, during the uh, the changeover from the two uh, big basketball games. Reese Davis and company were having this conversation with Joey Galloway and a couple of the other fellas. And Joey mm-hmm. Galloway, he just he couldn't even figure out what, what Kirk Herbstreet was trying to um, to ask him about all the different potential <laughs> scenarios for who's going to get in. It was actually pretty funny. But, uh, you, you know, I don't see how, uh, first of all, obviously if Georgia wins that game, uh, SEC championship, if they get there, uh, they beat Alabama. They're in. They have to be in. There's no question about that. The real question then becomes, what do you do with a one-loss Alabama team? When you're probably going to be dealing with Clemson, you're going to be dealing with Oklahoma, assuming that they go on ahead and win theirs as well. Uh, But you have almost an elimination game potentially in the ACC between Clemson and the Hurricanes, which I'm sure we're going to touch on that football game. Uh, Alabama with one loss, absolutely they get in but a lot of it has to do with how things play out. I think that ACC scenario works in the favor of the Crimson Tide, of course, uh, because somebody is going to probably get bounced out from that scenario, the loser of that football game potentially, especially if it is Alabama, because you have to give them the benefit of the doubt. Uh, they're just that team. They are, they are the Patriots of college football, and they're always going to get the benefit of the doubt whether you like it or not. And I'm sure the voters – are going to give that benefit of the doubt uh, when they're when they're picking these teams to, to get to the Final Four. Um, and it's going to be so interesting. But here's my caveat, Chef. I don't think Alabama is going to get out of Auburn without a loss. 
I think wow. Auburn is going to win that football game. I think Auburn is going to win that O'Hare Bowl this year. I just saw a football team this past Saturday against the Georgia Bulldogs, again, just to touch on it one last time, that was dominant on both sides of the ball. And as the burn likes to remind us of consistently, it's all one up front on both sides of the ball, first with your offensive line and then with your defensive line. And, man, did I see a dominant performance on both sides of the ball against a high-quality football team. As Kip said, Alabama's vulnerable. It's time, Chip. It's going to happen this year. I'm calling it now. I love it, Pete. I love it. Mr. Savage Bird, Steve Butler. Pete Tasca just predicted that Auburn is going to defeat the Crimson Tide in 10 days, and they are going to play for the SEC championship and likely a berth in the college football playoff. Steve, let me tell you why I don't want to play the Georgia Bulldogs in the SEC championship game. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, as you most often do, and as you so appropriately do when, when, I, when I do go down this kind of path. Um, I, I worry that with three, three and a half weeks in between these games, we can't play as good as we played last Saturday. They can't play as bad as they played last Saturday. And a couple things happened at the end of that game that I don't know that I want to play Georgia in three weeks. Gus Malzahn, late in the game, late in the fourth quarter, with a 40-10 to lead. I think there was two minutes and 50 seconds to go in the game. Um, After Georgia converted on fourth and short, Gus Malzahn challenged the play, challenged the spot on the field, which he ultimately lost. Georgia scored a touchdown to cut the lead to 23 points from 30 points. And then when Auburn got the ball back with under two minutes to go, Malik Willis, the young true freshman from Roswell, throws a 38-yard completion. Um, You know, those are just the type of things you do if you know you don't have an opportunity to play that same team again three weeks later. Steve, give me your thoughts on those scenarios and the possibility that Auburn might play Georgia again in the SEC title game three weeks from now. Listen, Gus is not worried about Georgia and and if they're mad. Gus is worried about keeping his job and making fans happy at Jared and Hare Stadium. I can promise you that. You You got to pick your poison keep your job and kick off Georgia. The more of that banter that Auburn fans hear, the more job security that he has. Because if Georgia fans are mad at him, that means he's winning. And they'll take that all day. So I don't find any problem with that. And I also don't find any problem with playing Georgia. They're not a very good football team. I have been setting up my friends. I've been talking with this all year long because I don't see their offensive line being that good. Their schedule has been that easy. Notre Dame, as we saw, was not very good, and I don't think any team, <laughs> quite frankly, in that entire quadrant or region is very good. Uh, Michigan's not very good. Ohio State, Penn State's overrated. I, I'm going to uh, take Pete's point. Clemson is a very strong football team, but don't forget about that Malik down there in Miami because that Malik yeah. is pretty darn good, and he's playing some fabulous football right now, and what he's doing I think just about as good as any quarterback in college football right now is hanging in the pocket and taking a hit and delivering the shots downfield. And I, even I've been surprised at how many plays that Mark Rick has been, uh, you know, how many scenes he's been running. So it's been interesting to watch him develop. But as far as the college football playoff and as far as Auburn beating Georgia, 
I don't think Auburn's going to have any problem, and I do think they're going to beat Alabama and meet them there. And I'll go back to this. I texted you after the spring game. I thought Auburn had an opportunity to win a national title with a real quarterback because of those eight defensive linemen they can rotate. Alabama fans know this. When you have that many of those big studs up on the front line, wow, you can almost dictate a football game. And, and so that's what they can do. And they've gotten better every single week. Since the LSU game, it has been a steady climb, and I think they're peaking at the right time. The question is, to me, is who are they going to meet? Because I think that Miami-Clemson uh, game is going to be a stellar football game, and both of them have pretty good defenses. I'm going to give Clemson the edge there, but there's no question the better quarterback plays for Miami. Interesting, Steve. Uh, uh, Kip, if there ever was an argument in college football for an 18 playoff, I, I think that is the year and hear me out when I say that um, I, I don't know that I've ever seen more parity in college football I can't ever remember a time when there was more parity in college football than now um, you have Auburn um, you have Auburn destroying a Georgia team that came in so hot and the game really um, you know once it uh, once Auburn got a lead it, it was it was a one-sided game the entire time You've got Miami, you know, two weeks before they destroyed Notre Dame, they barely beat a hapless North Carolina Tar Heels team. You have an LSU team that's likely to have nine wins but lost earlier in the year at home to Troy. Um, You know, Mercer, who Alabama plays this week, um, Auburn was only up 17-10 to 10 on Mercer with two minutes to go in the game. They scored a touchdown late in the fourth quarter to beat Mercer 24-10. to 10. Kip, this is wide open, but I will argue this, and, 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 and I hope to be wrong, and I know Pete, had, Pete expressed a different opinion about him, but I think these conference championships, and we'll find out in a couple weeks, I think they are serving as kind of de facto quarterfinal games. Because I tell you, I think the winner of the SEC championship is in, and I think the loser is out. Even if it's a one-loss Alabama team, I think the loser is out. And uh, I think the same could probably be said for the ACC championship game between Clemson and Miami. I think, you know, that's probably more conventional wisdom that the loser of that game is out. But, you know, how do you – and look, let's not look ahead. I mean, Miami's got to – they got to play Virginia this weekend, and then they got to go to Pitt. It's likely the Hurricanes are going to win both of those games, but you know it, it, it's not like um, you know it's it's not like they're playing uh, you know Bethune Cookman or T- Toledo in these next couple weeks. They actually have to uh, they actually have to go and compete before they get to Clemson. But these crazy scenarios that we're talking about, Kip, they're not like the scenarios we were talking about at Halloween when these teams had four and five games left. We're getting to the point in the season where these teams have two games left. And with most of these teams, one of those games is with a cupcake team. And so these scenarios, we can see them playing it out. Um, let's, let's, we, we talked about Alabama. Let's talk a little bit, Kip, about the number two and the number three teams in the college football playoff rankings, the Clemson Tigers and the Miami Hurricanes. Clemson as well. Um, they have two games left in the regular season. Uh, the, the one this weekend is a cupcake against the Citadel. Then they have to play at South Carolina. Look, the reality is that should be a game that they win. But they're not going to be able – they're going to have to compete. They're going to have to come in. Um, 
uh, you know, uh, that South Carolina team this year, even though they've ha- they've dealt with uh, a, a large number of injuries, much like Alabama has, Clemson should be able to do that. So assuming everything plays out, Miami wins their final two games, Clemson wins their final two games, handicap the ACC championship. And, Kip, would you also agree that that game is a de facto quarterfinal game as well? Oh, there's no question about it. Um, and, and that's why the, it's really intriguing if you look at the top eight teams now. Uh, Auburn sitting in a I – a, I had a person stop me uh, today and say, you know, how, how, shouldn't Auburn be ranked higher? And I said, Auburn's in a perfect spot. Auburn is number six. They're right on the outside of the playoff. They play the number one team next week at, in, at, down on the plains. The, the number two and three teams are on a collision course. The team that's sitting great is Oklahoma. They're uh, in the four spot with games left against Kansas and poor, the poor rock chalk Jayhawks. I'm glad they beat Kentucky last <laughs> night. So they have something to cheer about up in Lawrence because, man, this is a sad sack football program. But uh, very, then they, they do host West Virginia. Who's, yeah, isn't it terrible? Uh, West yeah. Virginia is a good is a good team, but they're playing them in Norman. If that game was in Morgantown, that might be a little more of a stress test. And then Oklahoma uh, will be playing in a Big 12 championship game, which is interesting. Um, you know that that's going to be either TCU or Oklahoma State, and those are two teams that they've already beaten. I guess the same uh, debate we're having about Auburn Georgia rematch, uh, beating a, a team twice in in a short period of time is a daunting task. So, But I think Oklahoma's sitting pretty nicely. But the, nice, the, the great thing about it, I think you're absolutely right. These are de facto playoff games. Auburn-Alabama on Saturday a week is absolutely a playoff game. Uh, the loser leaves town in that scenario, I'm afraid. And uh, whoever – in Atlanta, the only way that the SEC could get two teams in is if Alabama beats Auburn and Georgia somehow beats Alabama – a 12 and 1 Alabama team is still going to get pretty strong consideration. I think whoever wins the SEC's in, as is the ACC. And you asked me to handicap that game. I would have told you until Saturday night that I thought that Clemson would have a big edge uh, just in physicality and and uh, in 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 the in the trenches. But I'll tell you, Miami really impressed me how they pushed Notre Dame around, who's a big physical team that has been having their way with. Uh, all the teams up north, and uh, they got a they, they had a rude awakening on Saturday night. Miami just physically dominated that game. Uh, I was flipping back and forth, uh, of course, uh, watching Alabama and Mississippi State. But from what I saw, Miami is is peaking at the right time. I mean, this is a much better team than we saw a month ago. And maybe uh, you know, in sports, I, I think all of us would agree. Uh, it's how you progress through the season and being on top of your game at the right time. And man, this hurricane team looks like they really are. So right now I, 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 I it, it's hard to, uh, I've never been a believer yet in the Clemson offense. Uh, Brian Kelly, uh, Brian, the quarterback has been banged up uh, repeatedly this year. They, I still think they have the worst loss on the ledger uh, at Syracuse. But uh, so I was surprised that they jumped up to second. I thought Miami and Oklahoma maybe most deserve to be ranked higher than them. But uh, it really doesn't matter at this point because there are play-in games. And, I mean, short of an 18 playoff, which I think you're right, there are a lot of contenders. We're getting a lot of matchups amongst the, the primary teams. So 
uh, it, the system this year is actually kind of playing out in an intriguing and, and highly dramatic fashion. It really is. It really is coming down to intriguing and highly dramatic fashion. Steve Butler, since we were talking about the Miami Hurricanes, um, let me bring you into this discussion. And I have to say before I ask you this question, I have to share with the audience as well as the other co-hosts of the Red Zone Sports Report the ultimate in, in disrespect that Steve Butler had as a Miami fan. Steve Butler is married to a Miami graduate, his lovely wife, Dee. And uh, when Jerome Bettis was on the stage at the locker room, Chad, I snapped a photo of Steve Butler with his two hands, his thumb and his index fingers, giving Jerome, giving the bus Bettis the U, not but three days after the beating that Miami gave Notre Dame, and I think you posted it on your Facebook page. I'm sure your wife was very thankful of that. But let's talk about this Miami Hurricanes team, Steve. And I hate to say it, or maybe I don't hate to say it, but they remind me a lot of the 2013 Auburn Tigers team. It was the first year that Gus Malzahn was head coach. If you recall, in 2012, Auburn went 0-8 in the Southeastern Conference, did not win a conference game. The next year we played for the national title. And, you know, it was just a team that got better week after week. They never had any real dominating performances until late in the year. We opened the year that year against Washington State. We won by seven. Then we played Mississippi State. We won by four. Then we played LSU. We lost by 14. Then we beat Ole Miss by eight. We beat Texas A&M by four. And then as it got later in the season, November, we beat Arkansas by 18, Tennessee by 22, won a close game against Georgia and Alabama, as they normally are, won a close game against Missouri, and then went on to lose the BCS championship game by a field goal to Florida State in Pasadena. But – you know, that was a team that literally went 0-8 the week before. You look at this Miami team. You know, they didn't dominate a whole lot of games. They, they beat Duke in their first conference game, and then they, they beat Florida State by four. They beat Georgia Tech by one. They beat Syracuse by eight. They beat North Carolina by five. But the last two weeks, they've played a 13th-ranked Virginia Tech team and a number three-ranked Notre Dame team, and they dominated both of those games. They are 9-0, and Steve. Is there a chance? I mean, a team like that, I remember 2013 going through that as an Auburn fan. The deeper you got into the season, the more your belief was that it was your year, that this could happen. So, um, handicap, I know Kip did earlier, handicap handicap these last two games for Miami. I'm assuming you think they're probably going to go in, they're going to finish the regular season undefeated, and then go on and play a Clemson team that at times has looked as dominating as they looked the last two years, and at times also has looked very, very vulnerable. Thoughts on this Miami Hurricanes team, Steve? Well, uh, first thing, I've watched every snap of this Auburn and Miami season for both teams, and I really do think they're on a collision course. Um, and, and the reason I think Miami has a good opportunity, and, and their one hang-up could be this, is, is I think it was either Kip or Pete that mentioned the physicality of Clemson. That could be the one thing that hangs them up, because that defense will hit you in the yeah. mouth. But that being said, 
Miami's linebackers are as good as any core in the country. They're, they're young, yeah. they're fast, and they've been starting for two and three seasons apiece, even though they're juniors and sophomores. They're, they're really good. Their defensive line is really good and really fast. But what separates this Miami team a little bit from that Auburn team is that they have a very good secondary. And as you know, Auburn did not have a good secondary. They got away with having a good front seven. Uh, Miami, yeah. as we all know, has made the turnover chain the hottest thing in the country. <laughs> so the reason that is is because their DBs are making calculated good breaks on the football that you really don't see college corners do. Um, and, mm-hmm. and I think they're being encouraged by their defensive coordinator, Manny Diaz, to take a lot of chances. Now, you can live by that and you can die by it. But up until this point, they've been able to contain most offenses they've been uh, facing. And I think the fact that they've got a quarterback who's mobile, and this is where they are different from that opportunity. Auburn, I think, had a better offense to some degree. And I know they were barely winning football games. But Nick Marshall was very dynamic that whole season, in my opinion. He was able to break big runs, and he certainly made big throws when he needed to. Um, Malik is just kind of coming into that form. And, and he only had 137 yards passing uh, the other night against Notre Dame, but he had three or four really big throws. And, by the way, Braxton Berrios is the most underrated receiver in the country. He's only five foot yeah. eight, but that little mighty mouth can play football. And he also kick, returns all the kicks for him as well. I think Miami's got an extremely good chance. I would give a slight edge to Clemson because of maturity. And let's face it, they've had the best football program for the last three years in the country. Yes, they have. They certainly have. It'll be interesting to see if they can do it three years in a row. Pete Tasca, let's go through the top ten in the playoff rankings. And and you tell me, it certainly looks like the top seven teams in this ranking all control their own destiny. We've talked about a lot of them already. you got Alabama at one. You have Clemson at two. You have Miami at three. You have Oklahoma at four. We haven't even talked about the Sooners yet. They are on a roll. They might be one of the – outside of Auburn's win last weekend against Georgia, Oklahoma might be the hottest team in the country. There was Wisconsin. Not a whole lot of people talking about Wisconsin because they played nobody, but they are 10-0. Then you have Auburn and Georgia – Every one of those teams in the top seven, it looks like they control their own destiny because they're going to play each other, right? As, as, uh, you know, as, as it happens, they're all going to play each other, so they're going to control their own destiny. Here's what I want to ask you, Pete. Eight, nine, and ten. You've got an eight and two Notre Dame team. You've got an eight and two Ohio State team. You've got an eight and two Penn State team. Is there any scenario, Pete, that has any of those teams? finding their way, kicking and scratching and finding their way into number four at the end of the season and sneaking into the college football playoff? Absolutely not, Chip. You know it as well as I do. It's not even it's not even plausible in, 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 on any planet. The, the, the real wild card football team right now is Wisconsin, the Badgers. Yeah. Like you said, no one wants to talk about this team. It's like they're avoiding them like the plague uh, because of the uh, the uh, the, uh, um, the schedule. Uh, a lot of cupcakes. You know, most of the teams they played haven't even been ranked. This week against Michigan may tell the tale about what type of football team this really is. I can't imagine them not handling business against the Michigan Wolverines this week. However, you never do know Jim Harbaugh. You know, he, he is a great coach. Let's just give him that. At least I will. Um, with that being said, Wisconsin <laughs> could spoil the party for one of these football teams 
And, and let's be honest, nobody wants to see Wisconsin in the playoffs but Wisconsin right. fans, myself included. Yep. I don't want to see this football team. There's no doubt in my mind. I would much rather see a, a one-loss or even a two-loss Auburn team, you know, make it into yeah. the, the college football playoffs. Of course I would. Most of us would. But Wisconsin, how can you keep them out if they do end up running the table? It, it's almost impossible to keep them out. And it's going to nudge somebody out of that spot who, quite frankly, you know, may be a better football team and we'd all rather see in that game. So, that's the football team you really have to circle. Forget about the Penn State of the world, Ohio State, even the USC of the world. It's just not going to happen. No way. No, I think I think you're right, Pete. And I, and I think you're, you know, as little as people are talking about Wisconsin, if if they win out, certainly looks like they will in the regular season, and then win the Big Ten championship game, they're going to be in because there's going to be teams ahead of them that end up losing, maybe a couple teams ahead of them that end up losing. They play Michigan, and they play at Minnesota. Um, they beat number 20 Iowa this weekend pretty handily, 38-14. to Going to be very, very interesting to see how that goes. Kip, let me switch a little bit. We're going to kind of pivot away from talking about the playoff teams. There are a couple head coaching vacancies already in the Southeastern mm-hmm. Conference. And we knew the Florida – uh, job opened up a, a couple of weeks ago when uh, Scott Strickland filed, fired Jim McElwain after the Georgia game. But finally, Tennessee fans can breathe a sigh of relief because Bush Jones has been relieved of his duties at Tennessee, only to be taken over by interim head coach Brady Hoke, former Michigan head coach. Uh, Kip, who do you see? As possible candidates, who do you think the favorites are to be the next head coach at the University of Tennessee? Uh, Tennessee. I, I, this is, this is going to sound ridiculous, and it may not come to pass. I mean, well, it, it's likely not to come to pass. But my, my best Tennessee source has told me that they would actually entertain the thought of bringing back the one, the only the tempestuous, the tumultuous, yes, the, uh, I forgot what his first name was. His Tinder name was somebody Freshwater. Uh, I, I'm talking about the one, the only Lane Kiffin. Uh, no. You know, it, no. It, it's a fascinating subject to consider. <laughs> but there's a lot of people in Knoxville, from what I've been told, that uh, were impressed with the job on the on the field that Kiffin did with a less than stacked Tennessee team the year that he was in charge there, and uh, of course there was a lot of ruffled feelings for his departure to USC. Uh, but there there are people that uh, don't want to be political here. They don't want a mediocre coach. They think they need to make a big splash. That's the wild card that I've heard mentioned. Uh, but I also know that they are putting a lot of emphasis, and I think this would be a better choice. And, and if I was hiring the coach, this is the direction I'd go. I think they're going to try to throw a lot of money at Dino Babers, who's at Syracuse now, uh, really one of the rising stars in the coaches' ranks, uh, a guy that's going to be put butts in seats just from the standpoint of his uh, unbelievable charismatic personality. Um, he, he is, his stock is absolutely surging now. I've also heard that um, that they could possibly be interested in trying to lure uh, Justin Fuente, the uh, coach that uh, went from Memphis to Virginia Tech. So 
that's some of the names I've been hearing, but uh, it, it remains to be seen. But uh, it, it will be it will be interesting to see if uh, if if Lane Kiffin is a legitimate candidate. Uh, you would think that all logic suggests that that's not going to happen, but uh, that's that's what I was told this week that there is a contingent of Tennessee boosters and uh, some pretty prominent people in the athletic department that say, you know, if you look on the field, Alabama ended up winning the national championship that year, and Tennessee uh, had two blocked field goals against them in the fourth quarter that swung that game. Kiffin almost beat Saban back then. Uh, So there's some fascination with the Lanesters, so we'll see what happens. Kip, I tell you, um, I I just can't fathom two scenarios occurring at the same time, and that is – Donald Trump being president of the United States and having a Twitter account, and Lane Kiffin being back as head coach at an SEC school with his Twitter account. Um, wow, uh, that would be fascinating. Had not heard Lane Kiffin's name. When you said was going to bring back, I was thinking Philip Fulmer. Um, I wasn't even thinking Lane Kiffin. I was thinking, Kip, Philip Fulmer's got to be 85. It can't happen. Let me tell you two names, two wildcard names to keep an eye out on this Tennessee coaching job. Mike Norvell. A lot of people don't know or have not heard of Mike Norvell. He's the head coach at Memphis, and Memphis is quietly 8-1 and one this year. He's done a phenomenal job over there on the western side of the state. Um, they've beaten UCLA and Navy this year, this Memphis team. Uh, Mike Norvell's done a tremendous job, good, good young coach. Another wild card name to keep your eyes on, too, Jim Bob Cooter. And he's not a U.S. Senate candidate in the state of Alabama. He is the, head, he is the offensive coordinator for the Detroit Lions uh, but he is a University of Tennessee graduate. A lot of people don't know that because he didn't play quarterback. He didn't get in a whole lot of games. He was uh, he was the backup quarterback at Tennessee for his entire tenure there and uh, didn't even start a game. Uh, well, no, I think he did start two or three games. But uh, um, but a lot of folks don't know that Jim Bob Cooter ended up uh, or, or was a Tennessee alum. So that's something to certainly look at. Um, Steve Butler, Mr. Savage Burn, there's also a head coach opening at the University of Florida, and the two names that we hear, three names that we hear the most with that coaching vacancy is Scott Frost, the Central Florida head coach, who's done a phenomenal job this year. Most people don't even know it, but Central Florida is uh, Central Florida is nine and zero, and they've had three games canceled because of hurricanes and tropical storms. Oh. Uh, you hear that name, you hear Dan Mullen, the Mississippi State coach. Uh, I, I honestly believe that this is probably the year that Dan Mullen finally takes another job and leaves Mississippi State. Maybe not. We'll, you know, we'll end up, we'll end up seeing if that's the case. But just today, too, heard a lot more about Chip Kelly and how Scott Strickland really um, has has gotten the approval from the Florida brass that it's okay to bring Chip Kelly in. Kelly uh, reported today, some news reports today, said you know Kelly was ready to, to accept the job at Florida if it was offered, and Florida was ready to uh, offer the job, but that Steve Spurrier was lurking in the background. He's a, uh, an advisor to the Florida Athletic Department. Um, he wants them to wait to interview Scott Frost, and Frost is not going to be doing any interviews till the conclusion of the regular season. Steve, we've got the Tennessee job open. We've got the Florida job open. We might have the Texas A&M job open, all likelihood, only a miracle, I think, will save 
Brett Bielham at Arkansas. So that, that job's likely to be open. If Dan Mullen goes to Mississippi State, then that job is going to be open. If Gus Malzahn goes to Arkansas, then that job is going to be open. Some crazy possibilities in coaching carousel. And by the way, I don't think Gus Malzahn is now going to go to Arkansas unless he wants to. His wife is from there. He's from there. So I think the only scenario that has him going to Arkansas is is if he wants to go back home and if his, his wife wants to go back home. I think his job security at Auburn is certainly safe right now. But, uh, Steve, your thoughts on the Florida uh, head coaching uh, vacancy, who you think will be the next head coach there, and how you think these dominoes might play out in the SEC? Well, it's really going to be hard to tell about the rest of it because, as you pointed out, there's just so many moving chairs, and I think a lot of it has to do with whether Dan Mullen's going to go somewhere else and if Brett Bielema gets fired. But uh, I think the only job that, that really should warn our focus is the Florida job because if somebody's got their act together, oh, boy, you can be back to being a national contender real quick with those recruiting grounds that they have to tap into. And, by the way, they poach a ton of talent from the state of Georgia and the state of Alabama, so it's not just the state of Florida that they have to choose from, not to mention South Carolina. But I think it's the interesting part of this is Steve Spurrier saying no to Chip Kelly. Um, it had to be a substantive conversation because anybody that gets the opportunity to hire a coach like that in college – yeah. jump all over it. And the fact that Steve Spurrier uh, completely blocked this and they listened to him is an interesting development because I, the fact that he wants to interview Scott Frost over Dan Mullen, because Dan Mullen is part of the Florida family and has always wanted to come back there. There's got to be some kind of bad relationship there within the university, and I've heard there is, and I'm sure you've read the same thing. So at yeah. this point, it, I really think it is Scott Frost or Chip Kelly. I don't think Dan Mullen's going to get his opportunity. Um, but how do you not hire Chip Kelly? I mean, you know that he's going to be able to put together a program. And I wonder how well Scott Frost would do recruiting down here. It's a different culture. And I know he's got a pretty big reputation in the college football ranks. But at the Georgia high school ranks, I don't know how big Scott Frost is. And, and I'm pretty sure they all know who Chip Kelly is. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, Steve. I, I, I don't know. I mean, certainly Scott Frost deserves to be in these discussions with what he's done at Central Florida. Um, he's going to be around for a long time. He's going to be coaching uh, at the Division One college football level for a while. There might even be a good chance Nebraska. I mean, his alma mater takes a shot at him. And, and certainly I think if you're him, that would be the safe place that you want to go. But, uh, man, it is, uh, it's going to be – fascinating to see i mean we you know towards the end of the college football season and we're close folks we're only two or three weeks away i mean you know once we get past the conference title games when we do the podcast we're then going to be you know talking about all the ball games but then another thing that we spend the month of december talking about is coaching vacancies and all the palace intrigue surrounding who is going to replace whom at what school? And there might be more openings in the Southeastern Conference this year than we have had in quite some time. Um, we're going to pivot a little bit, and then uh, we're going to talk a little bit of NFL, and then we're going to close, as we always do, with our winners and losers of the week in sports. But Pete Tasker, the Buffalo bad boy, I want to go up to you and have you kind of talk about this one. Some surprising news coming out of Buffalo this week. Certainly surprising for those of us that don't live 
in western New York and, and the Buffalo area. It's been a bad couple weeks for uh, for the Bills. Um, uh, they were five and two. Now they're five and four. Uh, certainly competing for uh, for a playoff spot. Had a really really flat game this past weekend against the New uh, New Orleans Saints. Uh, but then again, there are a lot of teams this year that have a bad a bad game against the New Orleans Saints. New Orleans won seven in a row. I really thought that was a game that that set up well for Buffalo to snap the streak. Uh, Drew Brees and company came in, and it wasn't so. But uh, kind of odd news trying to figure out. Uh, you know, Tyrod Taylor's got decent QBR ratings. Um, you know, he checks down a lot, has a lot of short throws. Um, you know, doesn't really – it doesn't look like he's real comfortable in the pocket throwing the ball down the field. Uh, a lot of buzz. The, the, there's just no – there's no synergy with his receivers. Uh, they get Kelvin Benjamin in a trade with the Carolina Panthers a couple weeks ago. Um, what's going on, Pete, with this Bills team – What's what's behind this decision? Is this a decision that um, that Sean McDermott believes can really help this football team get to the postseason? Is Sean McDermott throwing the towel in and getting and getting this Nathan Peterman kid ready for the future? What's what's the uh, what's the story on this move, Pete? That's it. A flat performance is the understatement of the year. We uh, we were utterly humiliated in that football game on Sunday. Um, coming off a, uh, an embarrassment uh, on that Thursday night game, 10 days rest, as we talked about last week. It, it, looked, it went for the Bills, and it just never happened uh, right from the very beginning of that football game. And, and to speak to your inquiry on, on Sean McDermott, I don't think it's in his DNA to give up. Uh, there's no way that that's even even plausible for a coach like Sean McDermott. But granted, he's a first-year head coach, so the jury's still out on him. But all indications are that this guy uh, has a plan. Uh, he, they, he likes to refer to it as the process a lot. And, um, you know, the, the proof now is in the pudding even more so than ever with this change of quarterbacks. And, and really, there's, there's a few different elements that go into it. First and foremost, Tyrod Taylor's had two and a half years to, to lock down this job and, and to make it his own and to, and to really lead this team, uh, if nothing else, to a 9-7, and 10-6 type record and squeak this into the playoffs for the first time in 17 years. And he just hasn't been able to get it done. Throws a beautiful deep ball conservative. He refuses to push the ball up the field unless the receivers are um, you know, open without a shadow of a doubt. Cannot throw receivers open. Proof positive, he completed a pass to Kelvin Benjamin on the first drive of that football game. We ended up losing the game 47-10. to 10. Granted, our new starting quarterback, rookie Nathan Peterman, came up to mop the game up for the last half of the fourth quarter. But Tyrod Taylor did not complete another pass to a wide receiver in a blowout the rest of that football game. After the first drive, one completion to a wide receiver, and it was to Kelvin Benjamin, who he overshot on the first drive twice, once for a touchdown. He's just not going to be able to get us over the hump. And it's just, the, the, the whole thinking here is why postpone the inevitable? Technically speaking, ladies and gentlemen, the Buffalo Bills would be in the playoffs if they started today, which is just a joke. But we are technically the sixth seed, 
in the AFC, which just speaks to how wretched the AFC really is after um, New England, Kansas City, and if you might want to throw Pittsburgh in there, but they're very inconsistent. Um, the bottom line is Nathan Peterman was the consensus most pro-ready quarterback coming into the draft this year. Granted, he was picked in the fifth round. A lot of the big names got drafted ahead of him. It's obvious that Deshaun Watson is a superstar, and he was more pro-ready than anybody gave him any credit for. But Nathan Peterman has been in a pro-style offense the last couple of years at Pitt, and he looks like he's ready to go. Um, and, and from all indications, this is a great spot for him to start a football game. We're, we're in the chase. Uh, he cannot play defense. Now, that's the one caveat. He cannot play defensive line. Um, <laughs> we gave up almost 300 yards rushing in that football game, coming off of the 200 yards that we gave up to the New York Jets. Ladies and gentlemen, just one last thought on this team and on this this you know um, nightmare that we're living right now here in Buffalo again. The New Orleans Saints, starting in the third quarter of that football game, ran the football. Ready for this? 24 consecutive times in the second half of that football game. Was Gus Malzahn calling plays for the New Orleans Saints? (laughs) I mean, you can't even – I mean, it's unfathomable at the NFL level. And and this is a team that's on the road. The New Orleans Saints, a team that historically just throws the ball all over the yard, they ran the ball 24 consecutive times in that football game. It's just unheard of. Who knows where this ship is going, ladies and gentlemen. The bottom line is we're hitching our wagons and Nathan Peterman, a rookie out of Pitt. We'll see where it takes us. Pete, it's interesting. The only reason I know that they ran the ball 24 times is because I didn't get an opportunity to watch the Bills-Saints game. Uh, I was out and about on Sunday. But I had Drew Brees in one of my fantasy leagues. And when I saw the final <laughs> score was 47-10, to 10, I felt pretty good about Brees' production would be pretty good until I looked at his numbers and realized that he threw for no touchdowns. The Saints scored 47 points. Drew Brees threw for no touchdowns and only 184 yards. Um, didn't produce real well from fantasy numbers, but they got what they had. Steve, I'll get your comments on it, but I tell you, Pete, I hate to say this because it's going gonna, it's gonna to jinx you, but um, that, Nathan, um, that Nathan Peterman, I, I remember uh, uh, kind of evaluating players before the draft going, you know, this guy's going to be a late-round pick. He's certainly not one of the top four, five, six quarterbacks in the draft. But he was one of the guys that I flagged that I said, you know what, it would not surprise me three, four years, five years down the road if this kid has an opportunity to start and ends up playing really well in this league. I think he's got the ability to be um, maybe like a Kurt Cousins. And, again, I hate to change you by saying that because I think at the beginning of the season I was predicting that Zay Jones would be the rookie of the year, and he's done absolutely nothing at the wide receiver (laughs) position in Buffalo. But this kid is a winner. He is a leader. He handles himself well. He's got tons of poise. Um, uh, interesting. I, I, uh, I, I, I began this podcast not knowing what your take was going to be on that switch, but, uh, uh, but my guess is Sean McDermott probably sees something in that kid from 
you know, three or four months worth of practice that makes him believe that he can lead this football team down. So it'll be very interesting to see if he does. I put a free agent offer on him this weekend. I, uh, I, I have a dollar on Nathan Peterman to be my backup quarterback. And, uh, well, one of my backup quarterbacks, I've got Jacoby Brissett. I've got Alex Smith starting Jacoby Brissett as my backup, and I, I picked him up for uh, – for a third string uh, in hopes that he might be able to have some mop-up duties. Uh, Steve Butler, what do you think about Coach McDermott's decision to bench the veteran Tyrod Taylor from the Hampton Roads area of Virginia in favor of Pittsburgh quarterback Nathan Peterman? Pitt, University of Pittsburgh quarterback Nathan Peterman. Well, I think after these two losses that, you know, they need a change. And I'm a big Tyrod fan, and, and it's not necessarily all on him, but they need a spark. And and this kid out of Pittsburgh, I watched him play a lot of football in the ACC, and he will push the ball down the field, and I think he's a quality uh, quarterback, but he's also a rookie. And the only reason that the Bills are in the playoff picture right now is that they're number one in the NFL in turnover margin. And you might not like the fact that Tyrod doesn't push it down the field, but he's not losing these games. They're losing the games because I think they're around 20th in the NFL in rushing. They've been number one in the last uh, season or two. And they're also not playing very good defensively. So um, I I think it's probably a good change to try to give the offense some spark. But what it's not going to change is that Peterman can't catch the football either. I, I heard you say he can't play defense. They don't have one receiver over 270 yards receiving. And we all know that they really don't have any star receivers to go to. Pete will tell you, I have never been a Kelvin Benjamin fan. He never produced for Cam Newton. And I don't think you're going to see him really be productive now. He is a big body with bad hands. He makes a couple of spectacular catches, but he's not a great route runner. And he's never proven to be someone that consistently puts up numbers. And he's been in the league for a while now. So, I Charles Clay is their best receiver. LaShawn McCoy is their second-best receiver. Um, to Pete's point, he likes to check down, or I think, Chip, you might have said that. I, I think the real uh, thing they need to worry about is running the football and playing defense because as it gets colder in Buffalo, I don't like a rookie quarterback having to throw a football around if they're trailing. I think he's going to turn the ball over. That's just the nature of being a rookie in the NFL, especially when the wind's blowing at 30 miles per hour. Indeed. Kip Kiefer, your thoughts on McDermott's decision to go with the rookie Peterman this week and bench the veteran Tyrod Taylor. Well, I mean, when I, uh, of course, when I first, when I hear the name Peterman, I always think about uh, Lane's boss on Seinfeld. So I, I have to get my mind uh, <laughs> focused on the fact this is Nathan from the Pitt Panthers. You know, if you, if you think back to last year, um, it, pretty incredible the, what's what this young man pulled off. I mean, uh, Clemson was the eventual national championship. They lost one game last year. Guess to who? Uh, Nathan Peterman and the Panthers. So, um, you know, this guy's been on a pretty big stage, and, and, you know, it just was time, I guess. Uh, uh, Tyrod Taylor has has had some some really bright moments and has done some great things. The the great start the Bills got off to and the the two-game winning streak at home, uh, over Tampa Bay and Oakland, which, you know, are not the best teams in the league, but those are really solid, good wins. And I thought Taylor played well in both those games. Um, but, yeah, these last two weeks has just been painful. And I think it's as much, and I don't know, Pete could probably answer this, I, I don't know how healthy uh, LaShawn McCoy is. 
or if the, if the offensive line uh, just lost its effectiveness. But it just seems like the Bills were not able to run the ball these last few weeks, and it's it's the difference in the dynamic of their team. It's a lot easier to be a quarterback if you've got a great running back. And when LaShawn McCoy's right, he's arguably one of the top three running backs in the game. But uh, clearly against the Jets, he was banged up. And I don't know if there was some some carryover uh, in in the in the Saints game. I only watched uh, to about the first half. It's probably the worst prediction I've made all year. I, I loved the Bills last <laughs> Sunday. I thought for sure they were going to beat New Orleans. It was ripe for a defeat. And uh, 47 to 10, good grief. Um, so that 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 was a that was a prognostication that I'm not too, too excited about. But um, uh, I, I think it's time. I mean, this team has has, has done too well uh, to get to this point in the season and and still be in playoff contention. And you just can't keep it status quo. Uh, give the kid a chance. I mean, maybe uh, old timey more uh, you know procedures or you got to give a rookie a couple of years to kind of. Uh, uh, marinate on the bench, but I, I think we're seeing a new trend here. Uh, he is a rookie and will probably come in and make some mistakes, but, I mean, look at Deshaun Watson's immediate contribution. Look at second-year men Wentz and Goff in Philadelphia and L.A. respectively. I mean, maybe it's an era where these these kids are coming in a lot more sophisticated and a lot more ready to play, and if he's a possible resource that can turn your team around, you got to make the move. I think McDermott's doing the right thing. Interesting, Pete. Comments on uh, on on Kip's question about the health of Lashawn McCoy in the running game in Buffalo. Yeah, all indications are that Shady is, is fully healthy. Um, you know, granted, we we all know he's got a lot of tread on on his tires. He, he's almost thirty years old. Um, he's just not getting. It's a new blocking scheme in Buffalo this year. The, the number one rushing attack that we've had over the last two years. A lot of it is attributed certainly to Tyrod Taylor's legs. No question about that. But uh, we're now in a, a traditional Mike Shanahan zone blocking type scheme, and the offensive line that was built for a power running game just has not acclimated to this new style, and so it's been very inconsistent. And quite frankly, we do not have a, a backup running back um, of any kind of real NFL uh, quality in terms of uh, game breaking ability to spell Shady McCoy the way Mike Gillisley had the last couple of years, who's now in New England. We have Mike Turbank, who's, who's a glorified fullback, you know, halfback hybrid. We don't even know what he is. I, I'm, I'm not really sure what their plan was with the running back situation, but uh, it just looks like age may be catching up a touch with Shady McCoy, but no injuries, no. It's just been inconsistency. And certainly the fact that teams know that they can stack the box against the Bills um, is just taking away the running game because they just know that Tyrod, and they're pinning Tyrod Taylor in, the pocket where you can't make any plays in the pocket. It's just been a recipe for disaster. And, and as Kip just said, I, I totally agree. It was time for a move, and uh, we'll see what this kid has on Sunday against the L.A. Chargers. And, and that's a road game too, right, Pete? So they, they got to go all the way across the country, and the kid's got to make his, his, uh, his NFL debut on the road in the Los Angeles media market, right? <laughs> well, Kip, from, from all indications, there will probably be a decidedly Buffalo-slanted crowd in the 30,000-seat uh, soccer stadium that they're playing this game. And, and I would say, That's just right. a last thought on it, um, I don't want to belabor the Bills anymore. Enough's enough with the Buffalo Bills here. But um, I'm sure it was a strategic decision on many layers. Um, you know, the, the most prominent, or one of the most prominent, being the fact that we have to go to Arrowhead to play the Chiefs next week. And then we have New England coming to town the following week. 
you know, two extremely wow. tough football games. Very high likelihood that we don't win either one of those games, certainly with either one of these quarterbacks. But I'm, I'm almost certain that they wanted to give this kid an opportunity to get his feet wet, see what he does on the big stage, all four quarters. You know, you know, hopefully he makes it all four quarters because Lord knows they have a great pass rush, Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa there in L.A. Uh, we'll see how it goes. But this is a perfect spot to get his feet wet, see what he's all about, and then propel him hopefully into these next couple of games in a stretch run towards the playoffs, hopefully breaking the drought of 17 consecutive years. My goodness. Boy, Pete, you're right. I did not realize the following two games. You're really going to know in three weeks what you have with this kid. On the road in Los Angeles, on the road at Arrowhead, and at home against Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. Three weeks, you're going to have a yep. pretty good body of work to judge this kid's first three games from. Um, yes, going to take a 60-second break, folks. Time has flown by as it always does. When we come back, we're going to go through our winners and losers of the week in sports. So stick with us. We have a tie in the loser's bracket, so I'll be expedient here. Uh, enough said. I, I, I will just say two words in support of loser number one. Chaz Green of the Dallas Cowboys, six sacks allowed. Uh, that's, that's, that's enough. Um, the, on the college football side, my loser of the week is my favorite group of striped individuals and uh, their, their maniacal leader here in the Birmingham office, Steve Shaw. The SEC officials, uh, this, this call was, was, it was important in the game between Auburn and Georgia. It certainly was not a determining factor, but Georgia gets off the field late in the second quarter, uh, a punting situation for Auburn. And, of course, a flag is thrown, and everybody is looking around wondering what it could be. Uh, the penalty is against Georgia for leaping, and the, the infamous leaping penalty broken out because a Georgia player tried to jump over the, quote, blocking shield was the explanation from the SEC crew. So that was aggravating enough because two plays later, Stidham throws a touchdown pass. Uh, I, as, as soon as the Auburn game ended, and I made full note of those Gus Malzahn moves at the end of the game, you can take the boy out of Springdale, Arkansas, but you can't take the Springdale, Arkansas out of the boy. Uh, That's right. I switch over to the Alabama game, which has just started against Mississippi State. Mississippi State is in deep punt formation. They kick the ball. There's a flag down. 
leaping against Alabama. What, a, what an absolutely <laughs> amazing turn of events. Two leaping penalties within, a, within a, 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 a sequence of an hour and a half. You don't suppose a memo was issued from the SEC office this week? Uh, I think there might have been a memo by the SEC this week. Yeah, I think you might I be mean, on this. Something. They're just they're killing me with this stuff. Uh, you know, <laughs> you can you can watch a, a weekend of SEC games, and I, I haven't done the research, but I guarantee you, in another SEC game, I bet there was a leaping call in the you know Kentucky Vanderbilt game. Uh, it, it's just ridiculous that that these that these guys over administrate and you know it's the best conference in the country. I mean, not so much quality this year, but it is the best conference overall uh, consistently. But absolutely the worst officials, and not so much because they're inept. I think it's because the office mandates these ridiculous uh, situations. Two calls for leaping in the two high-profile games: SEC, Steve Shaw here in Birmingham. About three blocks away is my loser of the week. Um, on the winner's side, we'll keep it brief. I've already mentioned Chaz Green, the, uh, the plug-in offensive lineman for the Cowboys. What about our guy, Adrian Claiborne of the Atlanta Falcons? I'm going to make him the winner of the week. He had all six of those sacks against the beleaguered Chaz Green. Uh, that was a Bruce Smith slash Reggie White uh, slash White Freeney, uh, whoever you want to put in that category. You talk about a young man who made his name in one game, uh, Adrian Claiborne, unbelievable, six sacks in one game. That's a whole season's worth. He's my winner of the week. It's a huge winner of the week. I was going to go to the Savage Burns T. Butler, but I'm now going to go to the Buffalo Bad Boy Pete Tasca because I think there's a chance, Kip, you might have stolen Steve's winner of the week because I know Uh-oh. as an Atlanta Falcons fan, he might have had Adrian Claiborne. If not for his winner of the week, it was honorable mention. So Buffalo bad boy Pete Tasca, who are your winners and losers for the week in sports? Well, I'll start with my losers of the week. I, I would love, oh, I would love to give the Buffalo Bills a loser of the week, the defense, all that. But I'm going to save that for a later date because I know we're not allowed to use the same ones over and over again. So I'm going to go with the New York Giants this week, the defense of the New York oh, Giants God. this week, particularly the secondary. I, I noticed this a couple of weeks ago in the uh, the, the, um, the uh, televised matchup with the L.A. Rams in New York to boot where I was just watching the secondary dog it against Jared Goff and Sammy Watkins and company. And granted, let's give the, let's give the, uh, the Rams the credit that they are due and Jared Goff the credit that they are due. This is no question a quality football team. But I have not seen a professional organization of, of, the, of the ilk of the New York Giants have, a, to have their team dog it and so clearly dog it for, for all the world to see it. It's a disgrace. You know, Janoris Jenkins didn't play in that game, but I'm sure part of the dog in that game a couple of weeks ago had to do with the fact that Coach McAdoo suspended Janoris Jenkins. I'm sure for some sort of insubordination, Landon Collins, Eli Apple, while it didn't stop this week against the San Francisco 49ers, it was a joke to watch that football team and what they did. Granted, they don't want this guy in town. There's no doubt about it. He's a, he's, he's a goner. But where's the professional pride? It's just ridiculous. I hate to see it. The New York Giants secondary in particular, they're my losers of the week. My winner of the week, Chip, it's the Miami Hurricane fans. Now, I, I got to tell you, 
we all watch a lot of college football all across the spectrum, and I probably watch a little bit more Pac-12 than you fellas do, no question about that. But we see a bit of all of it. I got to say, that looked like the most fun party I've ever seen at a college football game. That scene was unbelievable. I'm so happy that Miami and the Hurricanes are, are back on track. It's great for college football. But that was like a fiesta. That was like a, a Brazil soccer game or something along those lines. It was just a party from beginning to end. They were rocking, they were loud, and it was fantastic. I loved it. Awesome, Miami Hurricanes fans. And I tell you, I don't even know that that, that stadium is on campus. So the fact that uh, it's probably it's further away, I, I think, than any football stadium in Division One from their campus. And so the fact that everybody down in the Coral Gables community has gotten so behind this football team so quickly is fun to watch. And it's hard not to be a Mark Richt fan. I, I don't say that. I don't say that to troll my Georgia Bulldog fans. Always been a fan of Mark Rick. He didn't win the big game in Georgia. Boy, he's winning the close games at the University of Miami. So very good and very appropriate winner of the week uh, for the Buffalo bad boy Pete Tasca, the savage bun, Mr. Steve Butler. You have the floor for your winners and losers for the week in sports. Well, I'd like to point out to Pete that clearly he did not watch the Kennesaw State victory over Charleston Southern because we know how to party in Kennesaw, Georgia, baby. We're getting it on. So. <laughs> well played. Week, I might, I'll, I'll go ahead and mention that Kennesaw State's playing for a Big South championship against Monmouth at Fifth Third Bank Stadium. So my winner of the week, it's got to be Manny Diaz. I mean, how much fun was that to watch the U be back hitting people in the mouth and getting turnovers. They created four turnovers. They held them to 260 yards, and, boy, were they really having fun out there. If they continue to do that with the amount of discipline they had, here's the joke, guys. They only had one penalty. That's Mm -hmm. amazing for Miami football. And my loser of the week is the red zone audience because the Atlanta Falcons beat the Dallas Cowboys, and we didn't even talk about it. And I'm pretty sure 80% of our listeners are living in this area. So I'm going to say the Red Zone audience, because we put up a performance in which if we didn't get a tipped interception, our defense had a shutout, and we didn't even talk about it. Anyway, on to the next one. We talked about Adrian Claiborne and his four sacks. No, I'm about it. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, very good, Steve Butler, my loser of the week in sports. And I'm going to talk about the Atlanta Falcons, but not as my losers <laughs> of the week in sports. My losers of the week in sports are going to be the Dallas Cowboys. Why is it the mm-hmm. Dallas Cowboys? Well, not only did they get pummeled by the Atlanta Falcons, but Ezekiel Elliott finally today – Um, dropped his appeal with the NFL. He will serve a six-game suspension, the first game of which was this past weekend against the Atlanta Falcons. He will serve another five games suspended, will not be available to play for the Dallas Cowboys until Christmas Eve. And I tell you, watching that game this week in Atlanta, um, boy, they – they're going to be lost without Zeke Elliott for the next five weeks. So my losers of weekend sports are the Dallas Cowboys and Ezekiel Elliott. I have two winners this week. Um, My first winner are 
to University of Tennessee football fans. It was almost like they it was almost like they got an early parole hearing this week with uh with Butch Jones being relieved of his duties. I have never seen a more relieved fan base in my life. I mean, it was clear that Butch Jones was not going to come back next year to coach this football program. The only question was, you know, when is the university going to make this decision? I'm not a huge fan of making coaching changes in the middle of the year. Um, I talked earlier in the podcast about the 2012 Auburn team. They went 0-8 in the SEC. It was very obvious halfway through the season that Gene Chizik wasn't going to come back. Um, But we let the season play out. They fired Gene Chizik at the conclusion of the year, um, and we were able to play for the national title in the next year. So my first winner of the week are University of Tennessee football fans. My second winner of the week, and this is a little unique, is an 18-year-old young man uh, from Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, who will celebrate this Thursday, tomorrow, his 18th birthday. The young man has cerebral palsy, and he has permanent brain damage. His name is Chancellor Lee Adams. He is the son of former Carolina Panthers wide receiver Ray Carruth and his former girlfriend, Sharika Adams. Just a terrible, tragic situation. Um, Chancellor Lee Adams' mother was murdered by a hitman, and his father was convicted of orchestrating the murder and is in prison. Um, She was pregnant at the time that she was shot. Chancellor Lee Adams was not given by the doctors but a 20% chance of survival. The young man will celebrate his 18th birthday tomorrow. His grandmother says that she plans to take him to a pumpkin farm in the Charlotte area, accompanied by a couple of his friends from his therapeutic horse riding classes. He will then take a hayride. He will pet animals in the petting zoo. He will eat his first piece of birthday cake, which will also feature his favorite strawberry mousse filling, as well as a picture of a horse. Chancellor will be in the starring role, Sandra Adams, his uh, uh, maternal grandmother, says, beaming, and, quote, he deserves that. You only get to be 18 once. Chancellor Lee Adams turns 18 tomorrow. He is my winner of the week. Folks, thanks for listening. This week, a busy week on the Red Zone Sports Report. We covered a lot of activity, and I'm going to promise the Savage Burn. I'm going to make a commitment tonight that if the Atlanta Falcons win their game this upcoming week, we will talk about it next Tuesday on the Red Zone Sports Report. It's Thanksgiving week. But uh, it is the uh, uh, third to last week, I guess, before the final college football playoff rankings come out. So catch us next Tuesday, the 21st of November, um, right uh, right, kind of the beginning of all the Thanksgiving festivities. Um, Steve, Pete, Kip, thanks as always for joining us. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you next week, next Tuesday, 8.30 p.m. Eastern time on the Red Zone Sports Report.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.